1: listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melkior.
1: Welcome everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melkior, and today is the start of something a little bit new here. On the show, um, for our next segment, we're going to switch our focus from uh, weekly and uh, seasonal fantasy baseball to daily, uh, for uh, to, excuse me, for uh, DFS, and we're going to have on uh, Michael Leone from DailyRoto.com, and we're going to take a look at tonight's slate, which is a bit on the small side because we got so much day baseball going on today, and it's been a A fun day of baseball already. We've had the Mets bat out of order and have Jay Bruce making out uh, for no fault of his own. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, We've got a call-up that uh, people should get a a bit excited about. Dustin Fowler, who, if you remember back in March, uh, was slated to be the A's opening day center fielder. Then he got hurt, uh, spent some time in the minors. He as well. He was raking in the minors, and now he is being called up. And in a corresponding move, Trevor Cahill has been placed on the 10-day DL with a right elbow impingement. So bad news there for Cahill, uh, and and not it sort of bounces out the good uh, development of Dustin Fowler coming up for the A's uh, with the not so good news of Trevor Cahill being hurt and having to go on the DL. Uh, now the A's lineup. Is out and actually that game, uh, in Oakland against the Astros is starting in about half an hour. So I want to give it priority, and not just because of this news about Fowler and Cahill, um, but because if if you do have a daily lineup to set, uh, you might want to know what's going on there. So no Dustin Fowler in the A's lineup against the Astros and Garrett Cole. So no need to you know rush out, pick him up, get him in your daily lineup. Uh, he is expected, however, to start in center field in the weekend series against the Yankees. His former team, uh, who he played for but never took a, a plate appearance for uh, because he got uh, hurt before he had the chance last year. Of course, we all we all remember that. Uh, a's are going to send Daniel Mengden to the mound. So as far as the rest of the uh, the A's lineup, pretty much the, the standard lineup, you're going to have uh, at least one more game of Mark Canna in center field. He'll be batting ninth. As for the A's lineup, no Carlos Correa. So this is the important thing to know. Uh, no Carlos Correa and uh, also no Evan Gaddis. Uh, you've got uh, George Springer DHing. You've got Max Stacy catching and batting seventh. You have uh, an outfield of Reddick, Marisnik, and Derek Fisher. And if you're wondering where Marwin Gonzalez is, well, he's filling in for Carlos Correa at shortstop. So a bit of a different Astros lineup and no news of any kind of problem with Correa, probably just getting a day off. We've got the Braves and the Rays tonight. Both of their lineups are out. I will get to that a bit later because I do want to get to uh, the rest of the news. There's quite a bit of it. Uh, So Matt Harvey talked on yesterday's show about how there were several teams interested in him, and I think it was just literally minutes after going off air. The Mets did trade him to the Reds, uh, who they're, of course, playing right now. Uh, a swap that I think makes some sense for both sides Harvey going to the Reds and then Devin Mezarocco coming back the other way and he actually started for the Mets today behind the plate Mets obviously in pretty desperate need of some catching help Mezzaocco not really playing that much for the Reds and also you know since a, a variety of injuries has not really been ever been the same as he was when he first came over to Cincinnati and and was a real, fantasy force to be reckoned with. So you've got uh, two players who have really uh, fallen far from their peaks, but at the same time helping their new respective teams in areas where they have need. So Reds needed some pitching. Uh, it's not yet been determined what Matt Harvey's role is going to be for the Reds, but it is expected that he will play in their upcoming uh, weekend series in L.A. Uh, against the Dodgers. So um, I you know, I just frankly, just expected that um, somehow the uh, the Reds and uh, Jim Riggleman would find some way to get Harvey uh, into uh, into the rotation. But again, there's not necessarily one clear candidate that sticks out uh, in terms of being a candidate to be removed. I mean, Homer Bailey's not been that great. Brandon Finnegan's not been so great. But uh, we shall have to wait and see probably at least another day or so, uh, maybe more to find out exactly what Harvey's role is going to be. But again, he is expected to pitch in some role for the Reds this weekend against the Dodgers. Uh, Also, in some other Mets news, uh, Mickey Callaway said of Jacob deGrom's extended bullpen session that everything went better than could be expected. DeGrom threw 43 pitches, and he is still aiming to return this Sunday uh, against the Phillies. So he is the tentative starter uh, in the final game of that three-game set in Philadelphia. Uh, Corey Knable has been activated. That was rumored for the last couple of days that he'd be activated today. He has been activated today, probably spelling the end of uh, a great recent stretch by Josh Hader as I think you got to say Hader was the the Brewers closer. I mean, it was very unsettled there for a long time after uh, Knable initially went on the disabled list. But Hader, who initially wasn't even supposed to be part of the closer committee, he really emerged and ran away with that closers job. And it just sensational, including a two-inning stint last night. Uh, so I would, I would expect that that's probably the last save opportunity that uh, Josh Hader is going to have for a good while. And in some other closer news, uh, Keenan Middleton is expected to, or may return, let me modify that, may return tomorrow. For the Angels. In any event, he's on a rehab assignment. He should be close. Could be back as soon as Thursday, according to the uh, Orange County Register. David Price uh, was scratched from his start today. He uh, continues to have numbness in his uh, in his hand, and had it tested, and it turns out he's got carpal tunnel syndrome, Uh, according to Alex Cora. He went on the W E E I earlier today and said that Price has a mild case of carpal tunnel syndrome. Uh, This report coming from uh, Steve Buckley of the Boston Herald. And it has not yet been determined whether or not Price is going to need to go on the DL, but he has been scratched uh, from his scheduled start tonight against the Yankees. So uh, Rick Porcello being moved up. It'll be Porcello and Tanaka for that 7.05 Eastern start, part of that uh, smallish nighttime slate. Clayton Kershaw update from The Athletic. Dave Roberts says that Kershaw's MRA results were pretty clear and that there was no revelation of structural damage. And the hope is that Kershaw will start playing catch sometime uh, during the remainder of this week. So it's a pretty good, uh, although tentative news, on Clayton Kershaw there. Uh, Also in Dodgers news, Justin Turner is looking to return next week. Uh, the series against the Marlins in Miami, that's in the earlier part of the week. So might be, if, if everything goes well there, then might be time to actually get Justin Turner into your weekly lineup. Looks like he might play enough of next week to, uh, to be able to do that in fantasy. But of course, we're a long ways away from next Monday, so uh, we'll just keep tabs on that one. Uh, Robinson Torinos was scratched from the Rangers lineup uh, with a sore left, yes, a sore left wrist. Uh, So no word on the severity of the injury or the extent of how long he's expected to be out. Also from MLB.com, Rangers are expecting Rugnet Odor to return this Friday. So not far from seeing that. Uh, Nick Castellanos, his left knee swelled up after getting hit by a pitch on Tuesday. And, uh, so he is out of the Tigers lineup. I'll let me see what the situation is there. Uh, yeah, that game is in, in progress and, uh, Tigers, uh, going with, uh, Mikey Matuk back up in the major leagues, taking the place of, uh, Castellanos in the lineup and in left field. Interesting lineup, actually, for the, the Tigers today. You got uh, Nico Goodrum in right, Jacoby Jones in center because uh, Leonis Martin was just placed on the DL. And then uh, Matuk in left. I am I did not see this, but I'm going to assume that Matuk was the uh, corresponding move to uh, Martin being placed on the DL with a left hamstring strain. Also, uh, Wade Miley on the DL with a right oblique strain and Todd Frazier with a left hamstring strain, same injury as Leonis Martin, uh, placed on the DL on Tuesday. So uh, a few moves there. Jason Hayward also, uh, he's on the seven-day concussion DL. And uh, according to Brian Walton, a fellow Tout Warrior, long-time Tout Warrior, and uh, also the proprietor of the Cardinal Nation, and a contributor to creative sports. Brian Walton's reporting that Alex Rehab is starting his – did I say Alex Rehab? <laughs> Alex Reyes is starting his rehab tonight with uh, the Palm Beach Cardinals in the Florida State League. So uh, he's working his way back to the Cardinals. Some terrible, terrible news here uh, about Jake Berger. And the last time I talked about Jake Berger on the show was also bad news uh, because uh, uh, spring training, he tore his Achilles. Uh, Was expected to to miss the season. Well, he re-tore it. And uh, so he's basically uh, back to where he was in in spring training with that Achilles uh, injury. Uh, He had been working his way back. And uh, so that report coming to us uh, from MLB.com, a burger, a third base prospect in the White Sox system. I mentioned uh, at the top of the show, Mets had a little bit of wackiness uh, in the first inning against the Reds in Cincinnati today. They apparently, I mean, it was very confusing what was going on at the time. But what uh, with 2020 hindsight, what appeared to have happened is that the Mets submitted a different lineup to the umpires than what everybody else had. Than what they they intended to have uh, was different. A different lineup than was reported in the media it was a different lineup than what i was looking at on mlb.com uh and so they had is dribble cabrera batting uh i want to make sure i get this right they had him in, in actuality batting third but he was supposed to be batting second and um and so uh what happened was, uh, now I want to make sure I get this right, Cabrera, because it was very confusing, Cabrera hit a double. Uh, so he, he came up third. He was supposed to bat second, according to the official lineup. And Cabrera doubled, and then Jay Bruce was due up. But before Bruce came up, the Reds notified the umpires that the Mets had batted out of order. So Jay Bruce got an automatic out that was recorded as an unassisted out by the catcher, and that ended the, the Mets' inning. So just very, very weird uh, and nothing that I have ever seen in a major league game. I'm not even sure I've seen it in a little league game where a team has batted out of order. That was just very, very odd. Uh, But checking in with uh, that game in progress, that was the uh, the first pitch of the day. And it was 1-1 uh, when I started the show, but now I need to... uh See, I think that game might actually be over already. It is, and it went to ten innings, and the Reds won that two to one. Uh, some other games in progress: we got the uh, Indians five one over the Brewers, and Carlos Carrasco just having a game. He is uh, still in there pitching in the seventh. He's got uh, twelve strikeouts already. I uh, got the Rangers up on the Tigers in that game that I was talking about a little bit before. That's three to two. That one's just in the bottom of the third. White Sox blanking the Pirates for nothing in the fourth inning. And uh Cubs 1-0 over the Marlins in the third inning. And Rockies, Angels just getting underway, but already Angels on the board in that one. One nothing. Uh Tyler Anderson pitching that one, gave up a leadoff. Zach Cozart double. And then Mike uh, Mike Trout drove him in. Uh so that's all we've got there so far. <laughs> and uh at Coors Field, uh, one nothing Angels over the Rockies. Now, as far as the games that uh, are still to come, uh, again, including that Astros-A's game, that's going to start in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, that and then the, the seven games that are on the nighttime schedule, no weather issues expected there. So uh, if you're st- still filling out a daily lineup or maybe just playing a, a nighttime slate, um, No no weather considerations there to be worried about. Now, in terms of lineup considerations, we've already taken a look at the Astros and A's lineups. Uh, We now have four lineups, and we've got both the Braves and the Rays. They'll be facing each other at the Trop. And we've got Mariners for both the Mariners and the Blue Jays. Of course, continuing that series, man, James Paxton. I can't believe I'm 17 minutes into the show and, and just now talking about James Paxton. But uh, no-hitter, third no-hitter of the season in the major leagues. Uh, First no-hitter by a Canadian pitcher in Canada. Uh, Just an absolute dominant performance and fun to watch. Uh, And Paxton was throwing upper 90s and 100 in the last plate appearance that he was uh, pitching to in that one. Just incredible. Uh, Tonight, it's going to be Wade LeBlanc trying to fill Paxton's uh, shoes starting for the Mariners and Jaime Garcia for the uh, Blue Jays. Now, as far as these lineups go, uh got Guillermo Heredia in left field batting ninth. Uh, but uh, so no Ben Gamel, which is not to be uh, not, not unexpected against the lefty Jaime Garcia. And then for the Blue Jays, of course, they'll be facing a lefty as well. Wade LeBlanc and no uh, Russell Martin. And otherwise, looks like a pretty normal lineup there for the Toronto Blue Jays, and then Braves Rays. That's Julio Tehran and Ryan Yarbrough. Uh, A's of course had the DH, so they get Jose Bautista in there. Charlie Culberson again at third base against lefty. Pretty much the usual uh, usual cast there for the Atlanta Braves, and for the Rays, I don't see anything too unusual there. So that gets us uh, caught up on lineups to date. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, maybe take another look at that because in just moments, I'll be back with Michael Leone of Daily Roto. And we're going to be very concerned about who's in the lineup tonight and who's on the mound. And we're going to talk a little bit about the slate for DFS. Do not go anywhere. You know, I'll stick around for that. That and much, much more. Be up. and I'll be right back. Welcome back everybody. This is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melkior, and uh, just gonna ask you to hang on for one more minute. We've got Michael Leone in the house for our debut DFS segment that we're gonna be doing every Wednesday here on the Fantasy Baseball Hour. Uh And uh, Michael, being from Daily Roto, I'm sure he's going to appreciate that. Uh, Just going to talk for a moment here about the DailyRoto.com dollar month. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it here before on the network, but I wanted to put it in some context for you. So let's say you buy a lottery ticket. You pay your dollar. You pick a bunch of numbers, and that's it. Then you clutch the ticket and you hope. But now let's say that you try the DailyRoto.com dollar month. You pay your dollar, you get access for 30 days, and you're transported into a world that's already produced five millionaires. So take destiny into your own hands. Go to dailyrodo.com and early, er, enter the code $1, and that's spelled out, O-N-E, dollar, all one word. That's dailyroto.com, and enter that code, all one word, all spelled out, $1. Michael Leone from dailyroto.com, welcome to the show. Al, thanks so much for having me on. Glad to be here. Yeah, no, no, my my pleasure. Uh, People can find you on Twitter at a great handle at two hats, one mic, number two hats, number one mic. I guess you wear two hats.
0: Yeah, I've uh, at at one of the FanDuel live events, you know, they had an open bar. I might have had too much to drink, ended up wearing two hats and the nickname just stuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, I, I thought you were going for more of the figurative. Wearing two hats, but you—you you literally, no, literal,
0: twins. yeah, I literally wore two hats. You know, I don't know if they were my hats, but they were being <laughs> worn by me.
1: That is just fantastic. That's an angle I wasn't wasn't expecting there. That that's great. <laughs> Uh, well, I know you—you know you want to talk a lot about pitchers, just sort of general. I mean, we're going to get to some specifics about tonight's slate. Uh, I know that you want to talk sort of more generally about some pitchers and then some of the pitchers going tonight. But it's a very, very small slate. Uh, that's the—the the price we pay for having a lot of great day baseball today. Uh, do you have a preference when you play, whether it's a small slate like this one or something that's closer to a full slate?
0: I like, I like having the diversity of the baseball season where we get both. You know, two-day nights, Friday nights, we generally get these really big slates, and then throughout the week, sometimes we get them broken up. So I like having both. I don't really have a preference one or, over the other. The strategy changes uh, between the two, especially when you're playing tournaments and ownership percentage comes into play. When you get a large slate, uh, the stack ownerships are pretty spread out. On a short slate, they can be really, really condensed, and there might be a bit more of a game theory aspect to it.
1: Ah, interesting. Okay, so it definitely would uh, drive the strategy a bit. Um, can definitely see that. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll get into uh, the specifics of the uh, the seven games being played tonight. But um, just to to talk generally about uh, you know strategy and um, you know talking about data and and how you actually go about uh, picking you know picking pitchers that you're going to play on a particular uh, slate. What what are the criteria that you look for um, in terms of the pitchers that you like to use? So the first thing that is most important
0: is that strikeouts are king in daily fantasy. And I know a lot of the audience is season-long, and you need to balance the ratios with – the ability for pitcher to pitch deep and get wins with the strikeouts, and it's kind of equally weighted. But in daily fantasy, we care about strikeouts a lot more for a couple of reasons. One, they're just worth more and they occur more often. So on DraftKings, for example, it's two points per strikeout, and for a walk or hit allowed, it's only like negative point six points for an earned run. It's negative point or it's negative two points, which is know, same absolute value as the strikeout, but it happens less frequently because you're getting six, seven strikeouts, you know, five to seven strikeouts for a pitcher, whereas you're only getting, hopefully, not that many earned runs unless you you really picked wrong there. So it happens more frequently and it's worth a lot more points. So that's why we care about it a lot. But it's also a lot more predictable start to start. One of the things I looked at when doing research, I broke down uh, the game logs of all the pitchers of the 2016 season and found from start to start, the correlation of a pitcher's strikeout totals was more than double that of the correlation of either their WHIP or their ERA. And that's just because within a start of whether a pitcher is allowing a bunch of runs or not, allowing a bunch of hits, it, it just can be very prone to variance between you know a three-run homer versus a long flyout can totally change an outing. Uh, we all know about batting average of balls in play and how over a season sometimes you can get lucky or unlucky within a single game you certainly – can see a lot of luck or not so much luck. So, strikeouts are definitely king. So, looking at a pitcher's K percentage, but also the K percentage of the opposing lineup is really important. Um, and, and I do like using K percentage over K per nine because I think it gets at the root scale better than K per nine does.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, you uh, read my mind because, uh, you know, so you were talking about strikeouts and I was thinking, OK, but, you know, what about when you've got a good strikeout pitcher against uh, a, a team that doesn't strike out much or, you know, or vice versa? So uh, I'm just trying to think here. OK, well, we've got uh, the, the Padres who strike out a lot. Uh, we got the Rays play tonight, strike out a lot. May, then you got uh, Gio Gonzalez and Julio Tehran facing them respectively. I mean, neither is a bad strikeout pitcher, but certainly neither is, is elite. So how much of a bump would you give somebody like, uh, Gonzalez or Tehran, given their opponents tonight?
0: Well, you know, one of the things we like to do too, is like really break it down, um, versus each hitter looking at their strikeout rates. And I don't know how every person is going to do that, but it's important to know, you know, some pitchers like Julio Tehran, for example, he's got pretty wide splits, whether he's facing right-handed batters or left-handed batters, you know, over the course of his career, when you look at hit as K percentage versus right-handed batters, it's really strong at 25%, uh, but versus left-handed batters, it's just 17%, which is actually below league average. So uh, it is important to look at that lineup and see how many left-handed batters, how many right-handed batters they have in the lineup. So for tonight, for example, he's going up against the Rays team that has four left-handed batters in the lineup. That's, you know around average but generally when we see him face lineups that has only two or three left-handed batters we start to get really excited because he's going to have a performance that's generally a lot better than his typical performance because he's going to hold that platoon edge on all of these hitters and he also tonight is going to face a DH which he usually doesn't so there's some negatives there even though the Rays as a team will strike out quite a bit
1: although i just looked it up to, to- fact-check myself, and they're not striking out as much as I thought. So they're, they're actually sort of the middle of the pack even against righties. Uh, but, you know, there's certainly potential there, uh, you know, when you've got, uh, you know, Brad Miller and Carlos Gomez in the lineup. Uh, those guys can definitely mm. strike out. Uh, and also, how much uh, weight do you give towards trend? Because Tehran has actually pitched pretty well in his last few starts. So that is something for pitchers that
0: I honestly weigh a lot more than I do for hitters is the recent performance because uh, there's so much noise sometimes with hitters in recent performance that it's tough to strip out, uh, whether this is just the general you know valleys and highs throughout the course of the season or. If there's legitimately something there, whereas pitchers sometimes because they're facing so many batters or start, you know, we get a better sense of what they're doing. And we can also look at things like a pitcher's velocity and we can look at their peripheral statistics, their strikeout rate, their walk rate, their home run rate, things like that. So we do weigh that pretty well. Uh, What we try and do is take a look at what our original baselines are you know what uh, projection system like zips for example which you can get for free on on fan graphs like you can go to Julio Tehran's fan graphs page and you can see uh what a zips pre- regression system projects for him rest of the season and then we like to weigh the recent performance so it's kind of like a threefold thing that we take a look at
1: all right very very cool uh well let's go take a look at a few pictures uh that I know you want to talk about and and by the way um I I uh that was playing DFS, but uh, playing my daily lineup uh, league. That's a seasonal league. I had room uh, to pick up a starter because I had to put you Darvish on the DL, and I saw two that I really liked for tonight: Nick Pavetta and Joey Lucchese. And I see that on Draft, uh, yeah, on DraftKings. They're priced pretty similarly: uh, Lucchese at seventy-two hundred, Pavetta at sixty-nine hundred. So, what the dilemma that I'm facing for a league where salaries aren't an issue? Uh, there is a similar dilemma in DFS. So I liked both of these um these matchups a lot Lucsey against uh, the nationals they're they're uh, putting Gio Gonzalez on the mound, Pavetta against the Giants uh, and they're going with Chris Stratton and, and um, so how how do you break this down with uh, uh, Pavetta and Lucsey?
0: yeah we we actually had them projected pretty close from a drafting point perspective but ultimately we have. Pavetta rating higher. And it does come back to that. The strikeouts are that I said. We have him projected for six strikeouts and Lucchese more on the low four strikeouts, which isn't a huge difference, but over time, these edges play out. And the nice thing with Nick Pavetta is he actually struck out a lot of guys last year. He was pretty good. He had a 602 ERA, which was bad, but it masked the fact that he was striking out 24% of batters. And you look at what's different this year, well, he's still striking out 24% of batters, but he's lowered his walk rate. And he's allowing a lot less hard contact. You know, his fan graphs hard minus soft percentage last season was around 20%, which is close to double the league average. Uh, this year it's below 10%. So that's allowing him to, of the non strikeout outs and batters that he's facing, he's a lot more successful. It's going to let him pitch deeper into games. It's going to keep his ERA down, give him a better chance at wins, and all of those things. And even as it stands now, he's got a 4 7 ERA, but his fifth and active indicate that it could be almost a full run lower. So like him a bit better than Lucchese who does have a somewhat tough matchup against the Nationals when you account for Ryan Zimmerman coming back into the lineup. You've got Anthony Rendon back in the lineup. And circling back to my earlier point about uh, when we break out uh, pitchers, you know, strikeout projection, you're looking at the team strikeout rates and why we like to look at it micro. It's not just the splits thing that I mentioned, but it's also because lineups can change day to day. And uh, subbing one guy in or out for another guy can you know, make a much bigger difference than you you think at first
1: glance. Well, uh, that's a great point, and I think it might show the the error in my ways because faced with this choice between the two, I went with Lucchese. <laughs> and yeah, part, of I, the, part of the rationale was that the Nationals season to date don't have very good uh, stats against lefties, but they have played a lot of that schedule, like you said, without uh, Rendon, without Zimmerman. Yeah, and
0: we do like Lucchese. You know, He's he pitched really well. I mean, you're seeing the strikeouts there. You've got about a league average ground ball rate for him, and of course, it's a great park there in Petco. So, like I said, it's a pretty close, and if you look at even the Vegas line, the implied run total, so what Vegas would assume that Lucchese is going to give, or the Padres will give up in terms of runs, it's under four. It's at 3.7, whereas Pivetta's is at 4.3, so uh, and he's in, obviously, a better p- hitting environment than pitching environment. So I do think that they're very close. And for seasonal, it becomes a lot closer because the ERA matters a bit more in seasonal than it does for daily. Whereas daily, that strikeout edge for Pavetta is really why we lean him over Lucchese.
1: All right. Well, the the Twitterverse agrees with you. I put this out to a poll <laughs> Uh, because I had such a hard time making a decision for my uh, for my lineup, I made the decision that I wanted to, you know, see if I would get validated, and I didn't get validated by you, you and I didn't get validated by the Twitterverse either, <laughs> because they went 64% in favor of Pavetta, 23% for Lucchese, and 30% wouldn't start either. Uh, so uh take that for what it's worth and and just to to mention one other thing and out' know you know what your your reaction to this might be is that not only did i look at you know the national splits against lefties but pavetta does not has not had really a lot of success against left-handed hitters and i you know i just thought brandon bell and Al, alan Hansen, if it was in San francisco be one thing but at Citizens bank park i thought those two guys alone might do a bit of damage so i don't know if that's if that's micro analyzing too much, but no, I think that's a, a good thing to look at, and I do think Pivetta might come with a bit more volatility than Lucchese,
0: uh, and it's just one of those things, you know, where you're willing to accept the risk, and uh, we generally on are on the the higher reward, higher risk side, and a lot of that again, you know, I hate to be repetitive, but it comes back to strikeouts are just so important in DFS.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I absolutely I get that. You know, the reward structure uh, certainly. You know, creates that incentive, and, and the fact that you know, if you are missing bats, you are you are not uh, you know getting hurt in other areas either. So, there is a bit of a, a multiplier effect there as well. Uh, well, uh, Alex Wood, even though he's going up against uh, the Diamondbacks and Archie Corbin, he's a little bit pricier. than Pavetta Lucchese he, on DraftKings, he's at seventy six hundred. Uh, do you think he's worth it given the matchup? I do, and this is one of those cases sometimes where you know, as important as
0: matchup is and those type of things, the price tag is, uh, you know, price tag and strikeouts really hand in hand as to what's most important. And with Alex Wood through seven starts, he's got a 2.28 sip indicating that he pitched really, really well, even though his ERA is, you know, more closer to four in the high threes there and then, uh, $7,600, it's just too low of a price tag. You know, he's a more skilled pitcher than Pivetta, more skilled pitcher than Lucchese. And within that same $1,000 range, and I think you really have to use him. You look, again, at the Vegas lines we like to look at to help guide us. And uh, he's a small favor in that one with just a 3.4 implied run total against, one of the lowest on the entire slate. So uh, what just based on that price tag alone, even though he does have the tough matchup against, Right-handed batters like Pollock, Paul Goldschmidt. When you put it all together, he's too cheap.
1: Well, fair, fair enough, and you know, good point also to compare that ERA with the FIP and X FIP. He's still got it's gotten better, but Wood has a crazy low strand rate that's starting to normalize. Uh, so that's definitely something to to take into account there. Uh, well, we've only got a few minutes left, uh, but I, I you know, since we've talked about you know matchups and strikeouts and you know all different elements here, uh, one thing we haven't talked about yet is defense, and in particular um, uh, in a different daily league, not the one with uh, where I was choosing between Pavetta and Lucchese, but in a different one, I decided to activate Malik Smith because whenever I see somebody speedy against the Braves or the Mets for that matter, although maybe that changes now a little bit with Masarocco. But uh, when I see them go up against the Braves, I mean, they've got two catchers that just have a terrible history at throwing out base stealers. So uh, what what is Malk Smith's price on DraftKings, and, and is it worth it just for that matchup? Yeah, and
0: you do make a really good point, and that's one of the new things we've incorporated into our projections this year is a stolen base adjustment based on the opposing starting pitcher and the opposing catcher, and what they've historically allowed. And Flowers is one of those guys uh, as a catcher that we expect an in inflation and stolen base rate for the opposition. And when you couple that with the poor splits by Julio Tehran uh, versus left handed batters, decent chance you get Malik Smith on base. So uh, the tough part though is he is $3,500. And generally, when you're looking at a bottom, the order guy, uh, and he's hitting ace, it looks like tonight. Uh, we, we want a cheaper price tag. We kind of want them below $3,000. So that's the issue I see with him in DFS. I think if you need steals specifically in season long, again, this one, uh, especially if you're playing a roto league, one of the big uh, discrepancies that you have to get over when you're playing DFS is the categories don't matter. You know, we don't care how you get the points on draft games. As long as you get them, we're happy. Whereas uh, in your season long team, you might really want that stolen base. So I could see playing him in a daily lineup in season long league, don't really like it uh, in BFS just because hitting eighth at home is one of the least valuable lineup spots that you can have from an expected plate appearance standpoint.
1: All right. Well, uh, sounds like great advice to me. And with that, uh, we are out of time, Mike. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to uh, doing this segment every Wednesday going forward. Thanks, Al. That was a lot of fun uh, for me too. Thanks a lot, Mike. All right, folks, stick around. We've got Paxton and the other great standouts from Tuesday on the up Welcome back. You're listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And once again, I'd just like to thank Mike Leone from DailyRoto.com for joining us for that last segment. That was great, man. I hope, hope you all enjoyed that, even uh, if you're not a DFS player. Uh, there, were, there was good stuff there just in terms of uh, you know thinking about matchups. I had certainly great advice uh, for DFS. Uh, so uh, we'll have more of that every Wednesday. Uh, so uh hope you... Uh, Go continue to tune in for that. Uh, I've got one more message here from DailyRoto.com. Uh, then we've got some more lineups to get to. And then a look at yesterday's top performances and some of the not-so-top performances. Uh, but if you want a chance to win two tickets to a 2018 World Series game, go on over to DailyRoto.com DKMS and take a crack at playing free Daily Fantasy Baseball. You can play every day. It is totally free. And the contests are sponsored by DKMS who are looking for your help in the fight against blood cancer. Every three minutes an American is diagnosed with blood cancer and only 30% of all blood donor patients are able to find a compatible bone marrow donor in their own family. So go to dailyroto.com DKMS and find out how you can help to eradicate blood cancer and also play free daily fantasy baseball with a shot at winning two tickets to a 2018 World Series game. So uh, I did mention there were some new lineups that have come out. In fact, everything's out except for the two latest games, Nats and Padres, Diamondbacks and Dodgers. Uh, but a uh, few things that you definitely need to know, Yankees, Red Sox, no Jackie Bradley Jr. And that one, that's to get Mitch Moreland in the lineup. He's been playing more and more lately. He's been certainly de- deserving based on how well he has hit. So Mookie Betts going to play center field. Uh, flanked by uh, Indra Benintendi and uh, J.D. Martinez. And uh, the Giants talked about that game in some detail with Mike Leone. Uh, Giants at Phillies. Nick Pavetta, of course, who we talked about, and Chris Stratton. And I mentioned how I was a little bit worried about Nick Pavetta because of Alan Hansen, uh, the switch hitter, uh, batting left against Pavetta. Pavetta's had some struggles against lefties. Apparently, uh, Bruce Bochy... Likes that because uh, Hanson's batting leadoff for the Giants tonight, uh, so just something to take note of. Uh, if you've got a daily lineup, you still got a set. And on the Philly side of it, no, uh, no Scott Kingery, Pedro Florimon is playing shortstop, and otherwise, uh, I take that back. I was going to say otherwise a normal lineup, but it is not uh, because um, Nick Williams is in left field and batting sixth. So I think that can only mean one thing, and that's right. No Reese Hoskins, against against Chris Stratton. And uh, so that's that's all I've got for you in terms of updates, but those are some pretty notable changes right there. So uh, with the time we got left here, a lot of performances to look at from yesterday, mostly pitching, both in good and bad ways. Uh, pitching really dominated the uh, the box scores. Last night, and of course, no story bigger than the no hitter by James Paxton. Uh, Now, following the 16 strikeout performance in his previous start, only seven Ks against Toronto. We'll take it, right? Uh, Also, three walks, but just a fantastic performance. And as I mentioned earlier, saving his hardest fastballs for the end of the game and hitting 100 miles an hour on the second to last pitch. I believe that was pitch 98. So, just also barely qualifying for a Maddox. A no-hitter with fewer than 100 uh, pitches, just incredible all-around performance uh, from uh, James Paxton. But on another night, there would have been several other pitchers that would have been taking the headlines. Aaron Nola struck out 12 Giants over seven innings, just giving up one run on five hits, didn't walk anybody. So uh, any early-season concerns—you probably barely even remember those, right? (laughs) About Aaron Nola, I was worried about two weeks into the season. I was very silly. Fortunately, I didn't trade him. Uh, John Gray, a great performance uh, at Coors Field against the Angels. So I know a lot of people are still sort of nervous about starting John Gray at home. This, if you're going to be nervous, this would have been pretty much the night to be nervous. But he was totally dominant. Uh, no runs over seven innings on four hits and a walk with eight strikeouts. Luis Severino. You know we're used to this: uh, six innings, two runs on six hits with no walks and 11 Ks against uh, a mighty Red Sox lineup. So great pitchers pitching great against great hitters. A uh, little bit less notable and less dominant, but but something just to note: Drew Pomeranz had a tough matchup of his own facing the Yankees at Yankee Stadium and fared pretty well. Uh, not not quite as well as Severino, but. Uh, Just allowing two runs over six innings on four hits and two walks with six K's. That's a perfectly good line for Drew Pomeranz, and that is now back-to-back quality starts for him after he was very shaky coming off of the DL, so it seems like he is is getting back to uh, his his 2017 form. Sean Newcomb with another really nice start. This one against the Rays. Uh, He got uh, six K's in six innings, did not allow a run, did walk three batters. That's Usually part of the part of the package with Sean Newcomb, uh, but only two hits. So again, you can't, can't really complain about that. And what's a neat change for Newcomb? I mean, he hasn't suddenly become a, a control pitcher or anything, but uh, he is getting ground balls, and that was not something that he did a lot of in the minor leagues. He has a fifty percent ground ball rate, and on top of that, he's just generally not giving up much hard contact. So he's allowing 0.66 home runs per nine innings so far, and that home park in Atlanta is not necessarily a a real favorable one. I mean, this last start was at the Trop, which is a pretty favorable park, but for pitchers, I should say. But Newcomb, he's pretty much got the whole package, you know, other than uh, reliable control, uh, but. You know, we, we can't be too picky, right? I mean, Sean Newcomb's coming pretty close to to must start at this point. And I think he could say the same thing for the pitcher uh, that went for the Rays against the Braves. And that's Blake Snell. Allowed just one run over six of the third. Four hits. Only two walks for him. So he seems to have put his control issues behind him. Five strikeouts. Uh, he, too, like Newcomb. Tends to be pretty good at minimizing hard contact. He has allowed close to a home run per nine, which you know in this environment. Remember when a home run per nine innings was something that that was scary? I mean, now that's kind of on the good side. The good side of normal. <laughs> so nothing to complain about there. And he does it despite the fact that he remains a pretty heavy fly ball leaning pitcher. He's got a thirty six percent ground ball rate as of right now. Jeremy Hellickson, another good start. Now, this one's against the Padres. You know, we tend to qualify those starts, but hellickson has been pretty steady. And in this one, he not only held them uh, scoreless for six and two-thirds, but he got eight strikeouts, didn't walk anybody, only two hits. A really, really great start for Jeremy hellickson, uh, who is probably due for a bit of regression. Uh, you, you, I think the strikeouts are definitely the thing you can chalk up to the matchup. You know, something alluding back to the conversation with Mike Leoni. Yep. Last segment where, you know, when a pitcher faces the Padres, they they deserve a little bit of a bump, whatever format you're playing. Uh So I don't expect Helixson to be a, a strikeout pitcher, but he's the sort of pitcher. And I've talked about this before that in a two start week, I would give him some strong consideration. I mean, first of all, he's going to get some uh some run support from from the Nationals lineup, most likely especially if he's got home starts, that's that's not a bad park to be pitching in. And he could be pretty good for whip. That Also not giving up much like uh, Newcomb and Snell, not giving up much hard contact, not somebody who's likely to walk a whole bunch of people. So there is some fantasy appeal there for uh, for Jeremy Helikson. So that's the, the good, whole lot of good pitching-wise last night. Then there was Dylan Mundy. Uh, An a, a historic start in the sense that he gave up seven runs, And four homers did not get an out. Uh, Faced uh, seven batters, all of them scored. (laughs) So an historically bad start for Dylan Bundy uh, against the Royals. And I apologize to the one person who asked me on Twitter if they should start Bundy last night. And without any hesitation whatsoever, even though he had been bad in the two previous starts, I said, go ahead. (laughs) Because... I, ever since he's come up, uh particularly since he's come back from, from Tommy John surgery, Dylan Bundy is somebody that I've I've always had a little bit of worry about because of the low ground ball rate and the park that he pitches in. But he's he, over the you know past I want to say quite twelve months, but since the second half of last season, he's just been so good at missing bats, and then facing the Royals who. Right now, even after this game, rank 25th in the major leagues in isolated power against right-handed pitchers and 28th in a home run-to-fly ball ratio against right-handed pitchers. It it really did feel like a no-brainer. I didn't hesitate at all. I said, go and start Bundy. So I really apologize. I think the process was mostly okay. Maybe I needed to give more weight and give a little bit more thought to the fact that his previous two starts were not quite this bad, but they were bad. Uh, but now that's three starts in a row where Bundy's uh, given up multiple homers. And, um, you know, uh, the, the thing that you can point to here, which may be a positive, because now somebody today asked me on Twitter, should I drop Dylan Bundy? And I said, no, hold. And hopefully now I didn't double down on, on giving bad Dylan Bundy advice. But it just so happens that the three starts with with the homer problem, completely coincide with him uh, releasing his, his, uh, his four-seamer from from a higher plane. So he's raised his release point uh, You know, at the same time that he started to give up all these home runs. So as, as I've talked about in other similar situations, maybe it's a sign of a health problem. I think if that's the case, that's going to be apparent probably within the next week or two. And I'm not saying start Dylan Bundy, but I'm saying hold on to it for another week or two See if we get some news, if there is a health problem or some other kind of problem, because if it's just a purely a mechanical problem with no health issue underlying it. And he goes back to just being Dylan Bundy, who I mean, I don't think he's going to be the guy he was in the first four starts of the season where I think he gave up two home runs and four starts. I don't believe you're going to see that Dylan Bundy over an, an extended period. But I think you're going to see somebody who's closer to a normal home run rate, who's going to get you a whole bunch of strikeouts uh, if he's healthy. So I think it's worth waiting on him and not dropping him to pick up the, the flavor of the week uh, j- just because of these three bad starts. So that is uh, that's my story for right now. And I'm sticking with it. Corey Kluber is also somebody that uh, is worrying me a bit. He over his last four starts has given up eight home runs. He was not super dominant against the Brewers uh, on Tuesday, but, uh, just a minimum quality start for him. Three runs in six innings with only four strikeouts. Uh, so over his last four, not only eight home runs, but a 10% swinging strike rate. And, is, and the, the rate was not really that high earlier in the season, too. It was a little bit better than this. He's just not getting the swings and misses as as we're accustomed to with Kluber this year. Uh, and he's, so he's gotten 24 strikeouts in 28 to two-thirds innings over the last four starts. Uh, now, the fact that he's pitched 28 and in two-thirds innings over his last four starts, that's a great thing. I mean, he's going deep into games. He's pitching well enough to go deep into games. But you expect Kluber to be at or above a strikeout per inning. So that's, it's mildly concerning for me. My cons- level concern is actually way, way stronger for Zach Godley, who against the Dodgers uh, lasted just five and two-thirds, gave up four runs on six hits, Four walks, the walks have been a real issue for Godley, and only four strikeouts. Over his last five starts, he has pitched 26 innings, so not much efficiency there. He has given up 16 runs. He has walked 17 batters. Let me give you that ratio again. 17 walks in 26 innings over five starts for Zach Godley. He is getting the strikeouts pretty much 25 in those uh, 26 innings, no worries there, but he is getting us uh, getting swings and misses at just a 9% rate over that five start span. He is allowing contact on pitches in the strike zone at a 94% rate. That is alarming, and it's doubly alarming, giving that, given that over the span, he's not allowing uh, swings on pitches outside of the zone as often. And by the way, I need to correct myself here, because I'm saying this is over the last five starts. This is actually for the entire season. 94% uh, contact rate in the zone. That's for the entire season. And a drop in his chase rate. That's for the entire season. Not surprisingly, he is pitching much better at chase field than he is on the road. So I put it to Twitter. This is a two Twitter poll show. Uh, do you sit Zach Godley in a 12 team on the road? And of you said no. So 31% yes. I think I'm a part of the yes. So in both of my polls today, I'm in the minority. Uh, Something to think about anyway. And just a quick relief note here. Ryan Presley pitched two perfect innings against the Cardinals. He has now gone 10 straight appearances with getting at least one strikeout. And so over 11 and a a third innings, he has 19 strikeouts now over that span. So if you're looking for non closer relief help, I think you got to put Ryan Presley pretty much at the, the top of your uh, list. So I spent a lot of time talking about pitchers, but we did have some notable hitting performances. Mike Moustakis went three for six with home runs number nine and 10 on the season. Uh, one of those came against Dylan Bundy, uh, but one did not. Alex Gordon hit his third home run of the season. He has been red hot lately. He had a four hit night. And again, one of those, uh, his one home run came against uh, Bundy and Jorge Soler homered against Dylan Bundy. Uh, He went three for four and he also walked in that game. So a lot of Royals had big nights, but those were probably the biggest. Uh, John Jay also with a three hit game. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton hit homers number eight and nine and also stole his second base of the season against the Red Sox. Wellington Castillo with a two homer game numbers four and five against the Pirates and Adrian Beltre is back. He returned uh, and it's always nice and reassuring to see when a player comes right off the DL and has a big game. He went three for four against the Tigers uh, on Tuesday night. So that is uh always a good thing to see and uh should just encourage you uh if you're able to 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 get Adrian Beltré into your uh next lineup setting opportunity whether daily or weekly so uh with apologies to the hitters spending so much time on the pitchers uh did really get to give them their uh their their fair share of attention on the show but uh Man, what a night for pitching, like I said, on both ends of the continuum. But that's uh, that's about it. We're, we're just about out of time here, so uh, we'll put a bow on this one and uh, send you out to watch lots of great day baseball and, and a good amount of night baseball as well. So uh, thanks again to Michael Leone from dailymover.com. Tomorrow's normally Nando Thursday. Uh, as of right now, it looks like we will not be having Nando on the show, but have some great stuff for you nonetheless. Have a great day, everybody. Take care.